Welcome to Saga Thing, where we're making merry and watching out for a puffin in a pear tree. I'm John. And I'm Andy. And while you're looking for that puffin, John, I'm going to be over here with these nine ladies dancing. Oh, very nice. Will you be dancing with them or just uh, just observing? Oh, you know, I can't resist a good groove, John. <laughs> Who can? Who can? Uh, but don't get too <laughs> distracted with your bipping and bopping over there. We've got our holiday oh, special God. to introduce. Oh, that's right. That's right. It is the Christmas season again. It's not just Christmas. It's Hanukkah. It's Yule. It's it's Festivus and more. Well, everybody's got a thumb in the late December pie, it seems, don't they? That reminds me. Note to self, do not eat any pie this weekend, especially if it's full of thumb holes. Never eat a pie full of thumb holes. That's a that's, good yeah. general rule. A rule of thumb, if you will. <laughs> there, there you go, folks. Uh, now that John's made a terrible pun, you know that you're in a Saga Thing episode. I mean, it was it was sitting right there on the pie plate. You think I was just going to leave it there? Well, I had hoped you might, but I get it. It's fine. It's okay. You know, I believe it was uh, Rene Descartes who famously said that... No, no, please don't. Please don't. Do I that. say I believe it was Rene Descartes. All right, I see. Okay. You need to get it out. Go ahead. Get it out. No, 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 no never mind. Never mind. Go ahead, John. I know it means a lot to you. What did Rene Descartes say? Nothing. <laughs> Come on. It's all right. Everyone wants to know. Go for it. Cookie to Agrothum. What is that? I don't, th- I don't think that came through. A little louder? Cogito ergo thumb. There it is. All right. Well, I hope you feel better. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, as we were saying, it is the holiday season, and that means it's time for families to gather. I just recently celebrated solstice with my immediate family in Oxford, and uh, now I'm in South Carolina for Christmas with my wife's family. What about you, John? You uh, out and about for the holidays? No, we're staying put here in Massachusetts for the season. It's a very minimal travel for the Sexton clan, which is honestly just the way I like it. Lovely. Well, how's the weather there? Any uh, snow on the ground? Uh, Not at the moment. We had a fair amount last week, but it's melted away now. We just have uh, bitter cold at the moment. Ah, well, I I really miss the snow, honestly. Yeah, you probably don't get much in Mississippi, do you? Well, I mean, every once in a while, it snows pretty good in Oxford, but uh, it's never anything like what I've experienced in Ohio or Connecticut or Siberia. Right. Well, <laughs> you're going to drop Siberia in there. Yeah, there's, there, I've heard yeah. there's snow in Siberia. Uh, yes, there is. And uh, before any of you start thinking that Andy served time in a Russian gulag, um, remember that he was in the Peace Corps back in the what, early 2000s. Yeah, it was 99 to 2001, mm-hmm. just before grad school. And yes... Uh, I uh, I taught English in Arsenyev, Russia. So shout out to all my Arsenyev peeps. Yes. Yeah, but uh, never mind about Russia, John. We're talking about snow. 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 It won't be long before we'll all be there with snow. I have you know? no idea what you're doing, and I don't think I like it. Okay. Well. All right then. Uh, all this you're supposed to <laughs> jump in. It's a uh, I don't. It's actually, a song for. I don't know what song it is for all of us. <laughs> I know you don't. You're too busy watching Elf while I'm watching White Christmas. Right. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> oh well. So uh, all this talk of snow, speaking of snow, has me thinking about the project we've been working on. 
Oh, yeah. Do we want to introduce that? Yeah, yeah. So uh, as our listeners already know, we spend a lot of time searching the deep stacks in various libraries for interesting tidbits. And uh, John, you stumbled on something really fascinating during your time at the Arnie Magnuson Institute when you were uh, there in March. You want to tell us a little bit about it? But we're really leaning into the bit, aren't we? Uh, <laughs> so I've been doing research on Thatter lately uh, for an article that I'm thinking about. And I came across a very little known Thatter that has never been translated into English before. Oh, yeah. It's a great find. Uh, worth the price of your sabbatical trip to Iceland, if you ask me. Absolutely. Please write a letter to my administration to that effect. Now, yes. Andy and I aren't really expert in all the nuances of Old Norse language and translation. Um, no, no. You can uh, visit Jackson Crawford's YouTube channel if that's yeah. what you're looking for. He's got that covered. Right. But we do try. Uh, and we've we been do. tinkering with translating this great little fouter as a side project in our spare, in our copious spare time. Mm-hmm. But we've got at this point, what would you call it, a working translation? Yeah, it's a working translation that we, uh, we've we gone back and forth on a, a little bit. I wouldn't say it's perfect by any stretch, but I think it's in good enough shape that we could share it at this point, if you want. Yeah, and this one's interesting because, uh, like many other poems and tales we've shared in our holiday special, this Thouter feels like a precursor to a longer and better known story that only became popular much, much later, after the Old Norse version had already been long forgotten. And that's why we rushed to finish the translation in time for this episode. So we hope you enjoy it, but uh, please keep in mind... It's a rough translation. It's a work in progress. Exactly. But uh, if you pay attention, I think you'll start to recognize some elements of the story as part of a popular holiday legend. Yeah, and since it looks like we keep finding these interesting holiday stories from the Saga Age, I wonder if we should maybe build a special tab for these texts on our website. Yeah, that's a great idea, actually. Uh, We shouldn't keep stories like Goodman the Grunch and A Visit from Glaum to ourselves. They should be part of every family's holiday season. Absolutely, they should. They certainly are at my house. Yes. So uh, look for that soon. I'll have uh, this text for the special Thouter that we're doing uh, posted when this episode comes out or close to it anyway. And then I'll get the others up there as soon as I get home and can find them. Excellent. All right. And now, without further ado, let's share this recently discovered Thouter. And now, the tale of Frosty Snjokarlin. There was a man named Frosty Johnson, named Snjokarlen. Frosty lived at Vetterlandstather in the north. He was the son of Jon Frostison and Isdrotning Kaltstater. Jon Frostison was the son of Frosty Hrimvitner, the son of Gamelkar Vetter. Isdrotning was a sorceress and a wise woman, but known to give cold counsel to friend and foe alike. Frosty was their only child. There was a man named Hinkle Hinkleson, a craftsman and poet, who was called Adnoid Hinkle due to a pair of swellings on his neck that often pained him. Hinkle was a sorcerer, but was not thought to be a talented one. He was unpopular with many, and was widely considered a difficult man. A man named Hokus Harfutter lived on Hinkle's farm and was his servant. There was a man named Rankin Basafesker. He lived very near to Frosty's farm. He had several daughters. The oldest was named Karen, a beautiful and intelligent young woman. At the time of this story, Karen Rankin's daughter was 15 years of age. Frosty Snjokarlin was a popular man, known for his cheerful and joyful personality. He was well accomplished in winter games such as ice skating, 
and it was said that no man in Iceland was his match at sledding. He was tall and stout, with coal-black eyes and a large belly. His nose was round as a button. His complexion, almost pure white. Though not handsome, he was generally regarded as a good match because of his talents. Frosty was a coal-biter. At times, he would stand perfectly still for many hours at a time, but was active and tireless when he stirred himself. Though he was almost always out of doors, he was rarely seen doing work. Instead, his time was spent in games, in laughter, and play. He was slow to anger, but quick to forgive. It was said of him that he was not a deep thinker, but he was clever with words and could shape things with his hands skillfully. He used tools made from stems of wheat and barley in shaping clay, and so he was rarely seen without a barley stem between his teeth. Strange tales were told of Frosty's origin. It was said that his parents were cold even to one another and avoided each other's company, so that they had no children after many years of marriage. Eastrotning was desirous of having a child, and it is said that one year, shortly before Yule, she used her magics to call up a storm in the night. She was not seen for a year after that, and when she returned, she had with her a son. Not everyone was sure that Frosty was entirely human. Rumors abounded that his mother had had relations with a frost giant, and because of this, Frosty was widely thought to be part troll or giant himself. Now, though a peaceful man, Frosty was skilled with a sword or an axe, but his favorite weapon was a heavy staff, which he used with his great strength and speed to overpower his foes. Whenever he practiced in sparring, he began to dance around, moving so quickly that his opponents felt as if he had suddenly come to life. And though he would often warm his opponents with vigorous blows, he himself remained cool and calm. There was one thing about Frosty. He was bald from a young age, and no hair grew on his face or head. And for this reason, he was never seen without a helmet on his head. The helmet was a gift from his mother. And when she gave it to him, Istrotling said, I have made this helmet to cover your head. I do not think people will say that you will go unprotected when you wear it, for it will never allow your life to end while it rests on your head. Frosty replied, I thank you, mother. I will wear it with pleasure, although I do not anticipate the need for its protection. <laughs> The helmet was black and high-peaked and lined with silk, and many thought it a great treasure. Frosty was a friend to the children of the neighboring farms. On cold days in the winter, he would often go from one household to the next, waving his heavy staff and calling on the children to run and play with him. He would challenge the children to come and catch him if they could, but he was so quick that no one was his equal in foot racing. On these visits... It was common for Frosty to stay and speak with Karen Rankin's daughter, often for quite some time. It was often widely said that Rankin did nothing to discourage these visits, as he saw Frosty as a fine match for his daughter. In the same year that Frosty's mother gave him the helmet, a short time before Yule, Frosty was leading the children up and down the path to town when Hinkle Hinkleson saw him. He saw the helmet Isdrotling's gift on Frosty's head, but said nothing about it at the time. That evening, at home, Hinkle said to Hokus Herfutter, I think it is a fine thing that Frosty Snowcarlin has such a helmet, and it seems to me that if he were to find it missing, 
It would not be so difficult for Isdrotning to make him another, as it might be for someone else to make one. Hocus replied, I do not know that it is a wise man who tries to take a mother's gift from her son. Hinkle said, It is no shame to be afraid to do great things when you are a lowly man. And he left off the conversation there. The following day, Hinkle and Hocus lay in wait for Frosty along the path from Frosty's farm. He had prepared the spot with a number of snowballs and lumps of ice. As Frosty marched past at the head of the pack of children, with Karen at his side, Hinkle leans out from behind a shed and throws a snowball with great accuracy. The snowball travels and does not stop until it hits the helmet and knocks it from Frosty's head right onto the ground. Frosty froze in place, and his normally calm black eyes smoldered as he stood staring at the outbuilding and Hinkle. Hinkle rushes out and takes the helmet from where it had landed. He put it on his head and felt the sorceress's magic in its construction. But before he could turn to go, Hocus snatched the helmet off his head and brought it back to Frosty. It does not seem right to me, said Hocus, that this should be taken from the man it was meant for. But Frosty was still staring at Hinkle and took no notice. So Hocus gave the helmet to Karen, who put it back on Frosty's head. Once the helm was on his head, he began to move around again. He walked to where Hinkle stood and spoke a verse. The man who carves the bent staffs of the bone of earth thinks to possess the gift of the goddess of winter. He will find that the wearer of the sword's foe bends less easily than a rune. We will meet again to determine the rightful owner of this helm, Frosty said. Then he turned away and continued his walk with the children as if nothing had happened. Things were quiet then until the local assembly, where the duel was to take place. In those days, it was the law that when two men agreed to a home gong, the man who had been challenged could decide the place of combat. Hinkle consulted his magics and chose a space marked out in the snow by straight lines cut into the ice in the shape of a square. Hocus was chosen to oversee the combat and to determine the winner. It is now to be told how Hinkle went to the home of Sirt Eldgradgi, a blacksmith reputed to be a great user of magics. He and Sirt spent the evening in labor, and on the morning of the duel, Hinkle returned home with a sword, Grothar'shusa Eldi, which had the property of burning anything it struck. Hinkle brought this weapon to the duel while Frosty chose a long spear. He loosened the rivet on the spear's head before entering the square. Frosty was dressed in a red cape striped with yellow and green and bore a grain stem in his teeth. When the duel began, it was not clear to anyone present who would be the winner. Frosty moved all around, dancing this way and that, so that Hinkle could not touch him with his blade of Grothar'hus Eldi. Then his spear darts forward, piercing Hinkle's leg just above the knee. As he pulls out the shaft, leaving the spearhead in the wound, Hinkle reaches out and knocks the helmet from Frosty's head. Frosty's momentum throws him backward, but Hinkle threw his sword and the sweep of it caught Frosty a terrible blow, both cutting and burning him. Both men were injured, but by their mutual agreement would not end the combat. 
Hokus took advantage of the lull to allow Hinkle to retrieve his weapon and to return the helm to Frosty's head. And then the fight began again. This time, as Hinkle raises his sword and attacks, Frosty begins to dance around, spinning the shaft of his spear, just as he always did with his heavy staff. He is running here and there, all around the square. And with every spin and move, he hits out with his staff and thumps Hinkle on the head and shoulders and ribs. And the stick goes thumpity-thump-thump-thumpity-thump-thump. And all the witnesses call out, Look at Frosty go! Thumpity-thump-thump-thumpity-thump-thump. And suddenly Hinkle feels he can take no more of this and runs out of the square and away with Frosty chasing after him, thumpity-thump-thump-thumpity-thump-thump, over the hills and snow. Nothing else of importance happened at that year's gathering. Now, as winter came to an end, it seemed to Frosty that it was time for him to seek his fortunes outside of Iceland. And so on the last day of winter, he put on his helmet and took up his staff and went to pay a visit around the local farms. At each, he said to the children, Let's run and have some fun before I sail away. And at each, he laughed and played with the children. And in time, he came to the farm of Rankin Basafiskur. And when he came to the door, Rankin's female servant answered and asked the news. Frosty said, I must go away for a while, but before I do, I will say a farewell to Karen Rankin's daughter. The servant went inside and spoke as though to herself. It is well for those who want to remain warm to stay indoors. There is too much of a frost outside to ignore. Karen Rankin's daughter gave no sign that she had heard, but soon after she rose and went to the door, saying, I will see this weather for myself. She and Frosty spoke for a time, and Frosty said that it was on his mind to ask her to marry him. But, he said, I will first travel abroad, since it is not right that a man of feeble reputation should be married. Karen said she was in favor of the match, but that her father should decide the matter. She then asked when Frosty would come back to Iceland. Frosty responded with a verse. The hawthorn of the hillside asks, warm-hearted one, when I plan to return. I stand at the cusp of the season of Thiasi's guest. I must depart. I know that winter's cold brings the return of frost, surely, to brighten the maid's cheek. I have heard, Frosty said, of a new faith that has recently come to Norway. I intend to visit there. And if I find that the new faith is as good as reports speak of it, I intend to take it up. And since I know that the faith of these Christians is centered on a celebration of the winter solstice, I make you this pledge. Though I leave you in the spring, I will return on Christmas Day. And he did. Oh, man. That is a really familiar story, Tom. The snowman was a jolly happy soul With a corn top pipe and a button nose And his eyes made out of gold Frosty the snowman made the children laugh and play And were they surprised when before their eyes He came to life that day There must have 
been some magic in that old silk hat they found. For when they placed it on his head, he began to dance around. Because the snowman was alive as he could be. And the children say he could laugh and play just the same as you and me. Frosty the snowman knew the sun was hot that day So he said let's run and we'll have fun before I melt away So down to the village with a broomstick in his hand Running here and there all around the square saying catch me if you can He led them down the streets of town right to the traffic cop the moment when he heard him holler stop for frosty the snowman had to hurry on his way but he waved goodbye saying don't you cry i'll be back again someday look at frosty go thumpity, thump, 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 thump,